on this Labor Day weekend, uh, we have saved one last parable to explore together. It's an appropriate one for a day in which we're thinking about our labors, especially as we think about our labors for the Lord. And uh, so I'd like you to follow along. It's in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. And so also the one with two bags gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is the parable that we have often called the parable of the talents. A talent in Jesus' culture wasn't a skill, not an ability, not like our talents today. You know, I can do this, I can do that, I can do things with my hands, or I could sing, or I could maybe teach. It's not that kind of a thing. A talent was a coin. A coin worth a lot of money. In fact, as much as a bag of gold. So the newest NIV translation calls this parable the parable of the gold bags or the bags of gold. A talent was worth a lot of money. At least $1,000 in our society, our economy. And one commentator said it's worth even more than that. He said it's worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wages. Now that's a large amount of money in anybody's book. One of the master's servants was given five bags of gold then, five times that amount, another two times that amount, and the third one got one bag of gold. 
each of them received a handsome sum to make use of according to their ability, it says. The master knew their heart. He knew their ability. He knew their aptitude. And so he gave accordingly. He knew what they could do. He knew what they were likely to do with what he gave them. And so he gave five, two, and one. The first two servants used their master's wealth wisely and doubled it for him. It wasn't even something they got to keep, but they doubled it and presented it back to him. And they were properly commended for their good stewardship. But the third servant, the the wicked, lazy, foolish servant, hid his master's gold in the ground, and he was quickly punished for his fear and for his lack of faith. A woman named Martha Berry was a lady with a vision to help children. She wanted to start a school for children who had no school, for children that were very poor and no opportunity. She had no books. She had no building. She had no money. But she had a dream. And she pursued that dream. She found a way in her time to visit a a philanthropist named Henry Ford. Perhaps you've heard of him. And she went to his office and she presented this idea of a school to Henry Ford. She went and she asked him for a donation. And Mr. Ford reached into his pocket and he gave Martha Berry a dime. Now most people would have been insult. Most people would have been so upset they would have reacted violently to that dime. He was a multimillionaire and all he could give her was a dime. But Martha Berry took that dime. She went home. She bought a packet of seeds with it and she planted a garden. She raised a crop. She sold it. She bought more seeds. And after three or four harvests, she had enough money to purchase an old building. And she started her school, the Berry School, with children and all. A few years later, she returned to Mr. Henry Ford and she told him what she did. She said, look what your dime has done. (laughs) And he was so impressed that he gave a million dollars for the Berry School. The question that underlies the message that I am bringing this morning is this question. What will you do with what God has given you? What will you do with what God has given you? What will you do with the blessings that God has already brought into your life? What have we learned and experienced this summer through these parables? What have we learned? How have our lives possibly, potentially been changed by what we have learned. James tells us, as we've already noted early in the summer, do not be hearers only of the word, but do it. Be doers of the word. You have heard words. You have heard the word of God. You have been given a wealth of information. I have been given blessings uh, in an abundance. What are we going to do with what God has given us? Think about some of these parables. Think of the wise and the foolish builders. That there is only one sure foundation we have in Jesus Christ. On whom or what are we building our lives, we asked. Or the parable of the four soils. Are we 
closed to God? Are we confused? Are we conflicted? Or are we actually cultivating our faith and growing? Are we staying open and receptive to whatever God wants to do in our lives? Think of the, the merchants, uh, the one that found the pearl, and the other man that found a hidden treasure as he worked in a field. What do we value more than anything else in our life? And we talked about that cost of following Jesus being very, very high because he must come first. What about the Pharisee and the tax collectors? They stood praying before God. One before God in pride, one in humility. One seeking justice from God for all the good they could do, and one seeking God's mercy. One leaving condemned, but the other justified through his faith in Christ. We learned about the rich fool, a man who saw only himself, who didn't think of the needs of anyone else who didn't prepare for eternity. So when eternity came, when that moment came for him to leave earth, he was not ready. And we learned that we must love God and we must love our neighbors ourselves. What about the mustard seed and the yeast? Two very, very small items. Almost uh, uh, hard, hard to see. The seed is so small and, and yeast, you don't even see it once it's in the lump of dough. And yet, if we will invest that small amount of faith that we have in God, no matter how small it may be, that that faith grows. That each person can make a difference. That each church, no matter how small that church can be, can make a difference in this world. We talked about the wise and foolish bridesmaids. That we need to be ready and to live for eternity, not just for today. And that no one can do that for us. No one else can take our place. We must decide that. And then we learned about two sons, whether they obeyed the father or not. And one of them who said he wouldn't obey later changed his mind. He repented, and he got his heart right with God. Now, does anyone here this morning kind of sense a common thread in these parables? Did anyone sense there's, there's just a big lesson that God wants us to learn? Anybody? Anybody want to venture a guess, an idea? What is God wanting to say to us? What are these parables teaching us? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Go out, share the word. What are we going to do with what he's given us? Yeah. Anyone else? This relationship that he's given us is, is like, this has to be primary. This has the best thing we can do. What? Help people. Yeah. Yep. See, each of us has some takeaways that will come from this. Now, what are we going to do? Because James says, don't just be listeners. Don't just be hearers. Don't just know these things. Go do it. And today's message is really about that. Go do it. The, the Father, the, the Master. God has given us a bag of gold. He has given us wealth. He's given us blessings. What are we going to do with those blessings? Recently, I've been reading my daily devotions about the kings of Judah. In 2 Chronicles, starting about chapter 28 through verse 30, or chapter 33. And if you've read through Kings or Chronicles, you realize there's a lot of up and down stuff. There's some good kings and there's some really bad kings. There's very few good ones, so they really stand out. A whole bunch of bad ones. 
And I was reading in these, and there were these three guys that followed each other. They're father, son, father, son kind of thing. And, and they were all over the place here in their obedience and their faith in God. What did they do with the blessings God gave them? Because they got thinking, you know, they're like us. They're kings. They're put up on a throne. They're given the wealth of their kingdom. Now what are they going to do with the opportunity? What are they going to do with what God gave them? So three kings, three generations, and one family. All of them were descendants of David, but only one of them acted like it. Which one of these three kings parallels your life or mine? I want you to think about that. First of all, there's King Ahaz. King Ahaz, king of Judah, who never sought after God. He chose to live just like the people around him. Second Chronicle tells us that, that uh, he led his people further and further away from God, further and further into sin. He not only ignored God, he not only... Uh, and left God's temple, you know, he had the temple right there in Jerusalem, but he wouldn't go to it. He built shrines and temples to other gods, and he told his people, these are the gods you should serve. The false gods and goddesses of our neighbors are the ones that we should serve. And, and when he was, was threatened by an enemy, uh, he got impressed by the enemy's gods, because they seemed to be stronger. So this guy had it completely wrong, and he encouraged his whole nation to bow down to them. That's King Ahaz. But he had a son. And his son, King Hezekiah, was totally different, 180 degrees from him. He didn't act anything like his father. And Second Chronicles tells us that he sought after God with his whole heart. He turned his people back to God. He tore down the shrines and the temples that his father had built. And he restored the worship and sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. He taught his people to follow God alone. And then the Assyrians came against them. This mighty army appeared, and they're threatening to wipe them out, and they're mocking their God. And Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, is saying, what other God has been able to defend their people against us? Because our gods are stronger. So he's really, really putting it to him. And so what King Hezekiah did was he called his people together, and he said, we need to fast and pray, and we need to seek God on this, because God will deliver us. We need to trust God to turn back the Assyrians. It's very, very powerful words there that he's saying to his people and his, his prayer to God as well. And save them, God did. God destroyed the Assyrian army through an angel. Then he'd have to go out and fight. The, the angel came down and the Assyrians all died. And, and Sennacherib, who survived with just a few guys, ran for home. And when he got home, his sons conspired against him and assassinated him while he was worshiping his false god in that false god's temple. And then there was another son. His name was Manasseh, not Manasseh. <laughs> he is the king of Judah also. He's the grandson of Ahaz, the son of Hezekiah. But he reversed things again. He watched through his whole life this powerful example of a father who loved God and sought God, and yet he turned from God as soon as it was his chance. He started worshiping the gods of his neighbors. And he built their shrines and temples back up. He even, it says, sacrificed his own children to them. He put his own children, his sons and daughters, to the fires onto the fiery altars of these false gods and goddesses, thinking that that's what you're supposed to do. And then he went even further than that, which is almost unimaginable. 
he brought all of the idols and the worship of these false gods right into the temple of God. God brought judgment upon Manasseh through the Assyrians, and he was captured. He was you know, a hook was put in his nose, and he's he's led away in defeat. But here's the interesting thing that is that is interesting about Manasseh's life: that when he was imprisoned, when he was taken away to the foreign land, he humbled himself before God. And God raised him up again. In fact, he restored him to a throne, although in, you know, in subservience or servitude to the Syrians, at least he became king again. And when he repented of his sin, God restored him, and he started leading his people back to God once again. They tore down the shrines of the false gods. They restored the worship of God alone in the Jerusalem temple. And Manasseh, who was once the sinner, learned to seek God and to worship him with his whole heart. Now, which king are you most like? Are you like Ahaz? You're so far from God that everybody knows it. Are you like Hezekiah that people can say, man, that person is seeking them, seeking God with a whole heart. Or are you somehow like Manasseh, still struggling, still not quite there because you really don't want to serve God and it will require repentance for you to turn back. Are we the generation because every generation is different. Are we the generation that will leave God? Or are we the generation that will seek God? Are we the church that will be the greatest generation this church has ever seen in seeking God and doing whatever God wants? Or will people look back on this day and say they lost, they lost track of God? They, they just did what they wanted. Because we are like these kings. We are like queens, if you're female. We have been given blessings in Christ that outshine anything those kings were ever given. Yeah, they had wealth. Yeah, they had an army. Yeah, they had a palace. But we have so much more in eternal blessings through Christ. Greater than any bag of gold. So what are we doing with what God has given us? That's the big question. What are we actually doing with what God has given us? I'm convinced that we can all make a great difference for God. We can all make a difference as individuals. You may not feel like you're a difference maker. You may not feel that you have much potential, much of an impact, much of in the way of, of talent or ability or skill. But God can use every one of us for his kingdom. God can use every one of us to make a difference in this world. And this church may not look like a very big church. It doesn't have a very large footprint on this piece of land. It doesn't have a huge seating capacity. It doesn't have a huge membership. We can start feeling like there's not much we can do for God. We're just a small church among churches. But God wants us to know that this church, New Hope Christian Church, can make a difference for eternity. That this church, New Hope Church, can make a difference in this community and in our nation and in our world. And it begins right here by taking God's word seriously. By taking the words of Jesus in these parables as seriously as we can possibly take them. By taking these words to heart. We decide if we're going to do this. We have heard many parables. They have told us what God's will is. They have told us what his kingdom desires and requires. Will we not only hear these things, but will we heed them? 
Will we love God and will we obey Him? And I just want to reinforce one thing. No one can do this but you. You can't, you can't do it for anyone else. They can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your children can't do it for you. Your brother or sister can't do it for you. Your preacher can't do it for you. Your elders, your deacons can't do it for you. This is something you must do for yourself. And you must step up now and say, I have heard the word of God. I have heard what Jesus said. I will do what he requires, what he asks of me. Now, I know most of you, like me, watch TV on occasion, maybe regularly. So I'm guessing a lot of us have seen a commercial that's out to try to keep people from using their cell phones while driving. It's an AT&T commercial. Probably you've seen this scene. It's a horrific commercial in one way. Uh, it starts off with the crash and then it backs up. And uh, after you know the, the impact and it pulled away from it very quickly, then you start seeing the boy riding his bicycle, you know, just down the street, just paying his own, not attention to anything. The elderly person is looking out their window at the street. The lady that's watering her flowers. The woman and the daughter as they're driving probably the daughter on the way to school, and then the accident happens. And the message comes out, you know, looking at your phone can wait. No post is worth it. No glance is worth it. No search is worth it. No email is worth it. No text is worth it. Worth what, you ask? The cost of life. It's a powerful, powerful commercial. It's a timely warning. As we see every day on the news, you know, somebody else was texting and they crashed and hurt, killed somebody else. Will we heed this message? I want, I want you to, to just think of this image this morning because God's parables, Jesus' words, Jesus' stories come to us not as, as just casual information that you can take or leave. Hey, it's good to know. This is a warning. This is a word from God that says something is required here. Some change of life is necessary because you've heard these words. What are you going to do with them? Are we paying attention? Are we heeding the warning? Now in this parable of the talents, the first two servants are commended exactly the same. One of them had five bags, produced five more. One had two one and produced two more. It didn't matter. Each was given according to their ability, and when they they responded as they were supposed to, they got this big compliment. The best compliment we could ever receive is a compliment the master gave them. Remember what he said? You remember exactly? He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So enter into the, the master's Happiness, come and share my happiness. From our earliest memories, all of us have liked to be complimented. We have a little grandson named Grayson. He's 16 months, almost. And he loves to hear us say, good job, Grayson. You know what a baby does. Now you know this, what Declan does. You say, good job, I have a big smile. He's all clapping. You know, wow, somebody told me good job. We have a granddaughter, Haley, that was sitting here. She's six. She likes to be complimented, too. 
She likes to have somebody that she cares about say, this is a good thing you've done. Show you know, paper from school or maybe the report card. I remember being in Boy Scouts at 11, 12, 13 years old. And I remember how many times we had a court of honor and they'd set up candles and they'd set up this, this nice thing of awards and ceremony, you know, and, and it would be for a new merit badge or a new rank or some special honor that you're receiving. It was a big deal. And I loved it because somebody was affirming me. Somebody was saying, you're on the right track. You're doing a good thing. And I realized behind that, I was growing. I was developing. I was becoming the man of God that God wants me to still become. And still got to work on that. What happens when the boss calls you in? and gives you a promotion. Or the boss calls you in and gives you a bonus. Or maybe just this little word of, of commendation is given to you by your boss or your employer. And I know people are really bad about that today. They don't say the things they need to say. They don't appreciate what is often. But when it happens, even if it's rare, what does that mean to you? Someday we are going to stand before Almighty God. And he will either say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, or as we learned in another parable, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Which one do you want to hear? Do I even need to guess? King Hayaz was a horrible, wicked king. His kingship did not last very long. King Hezekiah was a noble, God-fearing king who sought after God with his whole heart. And I told you about King Manasseh because King Manasseh was a bad guy that turned good guy. He was a guy that had it all wrong. That when his life came crashing down on him, then he repented and he turned back to God and became the man he was supposed to be in the first place. And he got his heart right with God. You need to do that today, maybe. Maybe you're in a place where you need to get your heart right with God. And you need to do that before you leave. Don't go away saying, well, it's a holiday weekend. I'll get to that later in the year. I'll do that when it's more convenient, when I have more time. Maybe when I think this through a little bit more. If you need to get your heart right with God, you need to do it now. The servants in Jesus' parable responded with either faith or fear. Which is in your heart today? small congregation in the foothills of the Great Smokies built a new sanctuary on a piece of land given by one of their members. Ten days before the new church was to open, the local building inspector informed the pastor that the parking lot was inadequate for the size of their building. They had made a mistake. They wouldn't be able to open that next Sunday unless something was done about that. Unfortunately, the church with its undersized parking lot had used every inch of their land except for the mountain against which it had been built. This big, huge mound of dirt and rock behind them, all that was left of their land. In order to build more parking spaces, they would literally have to move a mountain. Undaunted, the pastor announced the next Sunday morning that he would meet that evening with all members who had mountain-moving faith. They would hold a prayer session. And they would ask God to remove the mountain from the backyard and to somehow provide enough money to have it paved and painted before the scheduled dedication service the following week. 
Now that's mountain moving faith. Well, at the appointed time, 24 of the congregation's 300 members assembled for prayer. They prayed for nearly three hours, and at 10 o'clock, the pastor said the final amen, and he said, we'll open next Sunday as scheduled. God has never let us down before, and I believe he'll be faithful this time too. And everybody went home. Monday morning, as he was working in his study, there came a knock at the pastor's door, and when he said, come on in, a rough-looking construction foreman appeared, removing his hard hat as he entered. Excuse me, Reverend, he said. I'm from Acme Construction Company over the next county. We're building a huge new shopping mall over there, and we need some fill dirt. Would you be willing to sell us a chunk of that mountain behind the church? We'll pay you for the dirt we remove. And then we will pave all the exposed area free of charge if we can have it right away. What do you say? Well, the little church was dedicated the next Sunday as originally planned. And there were far more members with mountain-moving faith on opening Sunday than there were the Sunday before. (laughs) Are we willing to trust God? Are we willing to trust a God who can move mountains? Do we love him with our whole heart? Are we ready to seek him all of our days here on earth? And will you not only hear his word, but obey it every time you hear it? I heard about a 90-year-old faithful Christian who was asked how he could do so much for so long for Christ. And he said this, I never lost the wonder of it all. Have you lost the wonder? You can get it back. And as your pastor this morning, my prayer for you is found in Colossians, a passage I want to read for you in closing. It is Paul's prayer for believers everywhere that he had worked with. And as I read these words, I'm sure the elders feel the same way and offer the same prayers for us all. Colossians 1.9 Just listen, for this is my prayer for you. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, and I pray for myself, that we would be not only hearers of the word, but doers. And these many blessings, these great promises, these eternal blessings we have in Christ would not be wasted on us, but that we would listen and obey 
and that we would seek you with our whole heart. And Father, if there's someone here today, maybe several people here today, who need to repent before you and humble themselves before you and seek you anew, may they do that before they leave. Father, in my own heart, I know that there are areas where I have failed you, areas where I have chosen my own path over yours. I know there are times that I'm not as determined, not as excited, not as much in love with you as at other times. I confess that, Lord, and many others may confess the same. Help us, Lord, to be true to you. Help us to set the example for our children and grandchildren. Help us to show the way to our brothers and sisters, to our fellow workers and our neighbors and our family members. Help us to lift up God as a people, as a church. Help us to take a stand for you in a world where so much is falling apart. Help us to be true. And help us to be like these people that Jesus spoke about in his parables who are lifted up and uh, honored and commended. You have blessed us. Help us to use that blessing to great effect within your kingdom. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. Help us to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to sing with us now a song of going out for Christ. Angie, Angie and Gabriel just...